Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of um, A Close Encuentro of the Third and Fourth Kind. Uh, uh, our apologies for being a couple of days late, uh, but we have a good reason, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. Um, I am uh, your snowbound um, uh, host from Kansas City, Missouri, Jude Hunts, uh, with Habitat for Humanity and Utility Adjunct Professor, uh, along with John Gonzalez out here in Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn, New York, where we're we're good. We're we're kind of dry. Um, my my better half is over in Pennsylvania, where she's also snowed in. I was I was out there. You know this, Jude. I was out there shoveling, uh, and um, did a did a nice job on my back. But uh, I'm recovering in 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 Brooklyn right now, where it's still dry. It looks great, but it might snow on us while we're doing this. But it's still dry. Okay. So also. I forgot to mention, I'm the director of Parish and Community Relations for Catholic Charities, and I uh, teach adjunct at St. John's University. So Great. hello to you, Jude, and to our fellow listeners. Great to be here. And we, uh, in addition to dealing with weather and snow this weekend, we also, uh, the both of us, spent a little bit of time recovering from a very busy week last week, because oh, yeah. if you yeah. remember our, our last show, we were both um, doing advocacy work. Uh, one with the Catholic Social Ministry Gathering and myself with Habitat on the Hill uh, uh, the same week. It was a good one-two punch, quite honestly. Um, you know, because the, you know, the representatives got to hear very similar things from the both of us uh, and from our respective organizations in the same week. So uh, we're going to reflect on those experiences. Um, you know, we had some very interesting Hill visits and um, uh, and advocacy experiences. And for those of you who were paying attention to our last episode, we did not make a single Star Wars reference. Can you imagine no, that? No, was sadly. Utter, so now this event though lends itself to that because, you know, we are going to reference the, the venerable Senate of the Republic um, and its, you know, rapid decline during the end as the chancellor was, uh, was getting more and more power, and the Senate became more and more impotent. You're referring um, to uh, you're referring to episode two. Yes, but in episode one, however, yeah, but you saw this negative view that people had of the Senate. Um, you know, this far off body that you know that seems out of touch and whatnot. And you know, I think a healthy antidote to that is is doing advocacy work because if you're engaged in advocacy work and you're you know, regularly in touch with these offices, uh, you, you get a different picture, or at least I do. Um, you know, so for example, you know, I'm here in Missouri, and, uh, you know, those of you on the national scene are well aware of the fact that, you know, our junior senator was actively involved in the, in the, in the despicable uh, attack on the nation's capital uh, back on January 6th. Um, and he rightly received condemnation across the board on, on that. And, uh, um, but we met with his office um, on housing issues and whatnot and discovered uh, a really great interest in, in, in affordable housing uh, by his office and by his, uh, by his staff members. Uh, so the things we were advocating for, um, you know, he was really engaged in and really interested in supporting and whatnot. And so, um, it's encounters like that, that, you know, will help us to have more, uh, 
measured views about, you know, right. You know, right. Otherwise, they just become caricatures, and then we become, you know, distant and remote. We don't have the encuentro, and then, you know, uh, you know, really bad things happen. Um, right. So, uh, so that was just one experience that I was going to share. Uh, I don't know if you had a similar. Well, absolutely, both experience and I would say reflection, because it reminded me that was for me that was um, impactful. Because with uh, you know episode one and two of Star Wars, uh, I remember you know watching that back in the early two thousands, I think it was, and thinking about how how that reflected for me. And after seeing the events of uh, you know, well, seeing the the you know, the, the lack of, of energy for people to participate in the political system and vote, seeing January 6th and seeing, you know, this, this, this stigma, it got, it made me think about the fact that, you know, what, what uh, culturally somebody like George Lucas was portraying back then really touched on how people felt about the political process. Uh, and you can say it, you can say that it's corrupt. You can say that money uh, definitely has a, a, a buying influence into the political system. And you can document it. And, and it's not that it's a, it's a conspiracy. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a fair assessment. And I think that's what George Lucas tried to capture. You know, now, personally, if you're going to say, oh, but, you know, episode one and two were not that, okay, granted, it wasn't, it, it wasn't the best of the, of the Star Wars genre. But what they did in capturing how people felt about the political system, I think, was fairly accurate. And there was a lot of great pieces to that. Um, the ability for uh, Palpatine to manipulate, and oddly enough, the uh, in Episode One, the financial uh, it, it was what was it the trade, the trade federation, uh, yeah, the trade federation. So you know, so 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 again, it was through the econ the great economic interest that he f found a way to manipulate uh, and focus the political system, and on the grassroots, people just dismissed the entire political system. And, and you had the few underdogs uh, like uh, uh, Padme, Amidala, and um, uh, eventually Mon Mothma, who's uh, uh, Organa, uh, right. Senator Organa. And, and, and they, were, they were, you know, just trying to fight for principles, you know, old cherished values and principles, but they were, they were really, you know, caught with this, with the, you know, this, this moneyed interest, this, this manipulation, which they couldn't identify where it was coming from. And um, and I was you know mentioning to you that famous scene in episode two where everybody gives uh, uh, the chancellor who seems to have uh, some more ability or some more power and so they give him more power taking power away from the the republic and the, or the senate itself and her comment you know this is how democracy dies with thunderous applause so you know after January six I feel like we can't you know we have to kind of put on the the shoes of of Amidala and just recognize, look, if we still value these values, these American values and this, and this constitutional system, we can't just let it go. We can't let it slip through our fingers. We need to embrace it and taking, you know, Pope Francis into, into consideration right now. How do we do that? As you said, by, through an encounter, get involved with the political system. Right. Um, something I want to share with you, Jude, and others. I just so you might not know this because I just did it. Um, I put a, in our blog. 
I, I put in a, a piece on, you know, what is parish social ministry? Right. And a, a reminder that, you know, one of the things that, and we probably will be highlighting more than anything, a lot of direct service, you know, approaches because of Catholic charities with, uh, you know, food pantries and, and uh, soup kitchens and pop-up food distributions. We do that with, obviously, obviously with Habitat for Humanity, you have housing, right? right? Uh, certainly, that's, that's always going to be the, you know, probably the big emphasis of what social ministry looks like. And that's what people will think right. about. But the bishops will always remind us that, you know, uh, one thing that which we're talking about today, advocacy, is very much, you know, uh, the, the a value of the social justice aspect of our, of what's called social ministry. Also community organizing, which you and I will right. be talking about, right. you know, probably later. Um, so it's very important that we do this. It's very important that we relate to the people in need. And we take the stories of the encounters that we have on the ground and take them to the places of power and find out what they have to say. Right. Find out what the legislators have to say instead of just dismissing them to, you know, to, you know, these, uh, these ideological uh, arguments um, that are, that are real, uh, that are the focus. No, let's talk, let's talk about the issues. Right. And so, so we had the chance to do that. Um, with Catholic Social Ministry Gathering uh, here in New York, which is, of course, where I'm at. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about some of those encounters that you had. You already mentioned one, but... Uh, yeah, so, well, you know, I want to go back just a little bit, you know, because last week we talked about solidarity, and, you know, that's one of the core values of Catholic social teaching. Another one is participation, uh, and participation goes hand in hand with solidarity, that, you know, we can't have solidarity if we don't participate. Uh, and, you know, there's this big push that, you know, we see every now and then about, um, about term limits. And I'm not a fan of, of, of term limits because I think, you know, that's sort of the lazy way out of, you know, um, you know out of engaging in, <laughs> in public life. I mean, our, uh, our system was designed for participation. Um, we were not merely to just elect people and leave them alone. We were meant to engage with them. Um, that's why every um, representative has, um, you know, offices in district as well as in Washington, D.C. Um, and, you know, we have to participate. Uh, you know, that's the only way the system stays healthy. And so I, I you know, I love doing these things. I, I like to do them in D.C. I like to do them in district um, because, you know, uh, you know, just to give an example, um, you know, I, you know, I mentioned the Josh Hawley thing, but you know, we're also talking to a, a rural um, Congress member uh, here in Missouri. His his district is almost entirely rural, and we were talking about um, a particular piece of legislation called the Neighborhood uh, Homes Investment Act that would, uh, you know, encourage the development of affordable housing throughout the country, um, and you know, the congressman's office was initially skeptical um, about this because, you know, the perception that he had was, well, you know, this is just more money into urban areas of blight and whatnot. And, you know, things like this don't benefit rural areas. And, and so we were able to show him uh, a map of designated areas that this bill had. Um, and there were big chunks of it in his particular district. Uh, so we showed him this map and he was blown away. He's like, wow. He said, this is really a good bill. He said, I really, I didn't know that until I was able to, you know, until you showed me this and, you know, and whatnot. He said, this really benefits my district as well as rural areas. Um, 
And so that encounter, you know, and if we didn't have that encounter, okay, if we didn't have that conversation, you know, he would have had a very different view about this particular piece of legislation we were supporting. Um, and uh, so that's the value of doing this work and, and right. to have these engagements. And, you know, you may have a similar experience from your work last week. Uh, well, we had, we had some good experiences. Um, you know, I, that's uh, in New York City overall is uh, represented by progressives. Uh, you know, so, so when it comes to this line of issues, this line of work, you don't really uh, have too much contention or, or, or any of that. We get better stories sometimes from our upstate uh, you know, colleagues. But, um, but nevertheless, there were important conversations and I'll share you know, you know, some of them, uh, at least with our senators, with our New York senators, and the issues that we addressed uh, were, were, there was three focuses. Uh, one of them uh, was uh, something that we have been really focused on working since again, mid-March of last year, COVID relief, because again, the, the economic uh, ramifications of, uh, uh, of the COVID pandemic, uh, you know, the effects that it's had in the city with, the, with restaurants and the hospitality industries and all that, uh, and so we, we were, again, pushing for uh, different forms of, uh, of ongoing relief and extension of programs, SNAP, um, EI, the Earned Income Tax Credit and the Child Tax Credit, which is, you know, is coming up now. So we were looking for, uh, we were again advocating for the recognition that, and, and for, for us, we were just going on with our, our stories, our experiences of uh, the food pantries. Again, there was a, a, a great growth um, in the late spring, tampered off a bit, kind of increased again at, at the end of the fall. But, but the need is, you know, especially with uncertainty of uh, things are happening. I think everybody wants the, the post-COVID uh, moment to happen now, um, but we're still suffering from the, you know, the economic ramifications. And for us, it's, it's the, the concern of the people once the moratorium ends and they um, and they can you know be evicted from their homes, um, there's going to be a lot of panic in the street, as it were. So so you know these these concerns we we very much advocated for that. But again, we found uh, you know very good uh, voices with that. Uh, with a local congresswoman, uh, based on the committee that she was a part of, we asked about some of the resources that we had access to and want to see what the future is, uh, you know, of that would be. In this case, like the, uh, the um, uh, farmers to um, families, bo uh, food boxes. Uh, and so, you know, we, that, through that conversation, through that encounter, we found out that there was uh, a review process and they explained to us why the review process was needed. And we understood that very well. So, you know, in that case, we just asked that, you know, they could, that can move along. Uh, because we very much want to have uh, uh, access to distribute this, you know, these resources and to have public food distributions in the future. Um, supporting immigration reform was the second one. Uh, you know, very, for me, one of the great concerns that I have, and, and, and it deals with sometimes some of the stuff that I hear on Facebook and all that, people are like, oh, and, and, and you know, the, the government's corrupt and all that, and and immigrants are, and all we're focusing is on immigrants getting, you know, free supplies and, and, and getting that. And I always correct that. It's like, you know, the public charge, there is no, they don't get a stimulus check. That is absolutely incorrect. 
And the people that I see, the immigrants that I see, that's one of the biggest aspects of their suffering. And we have to you know, find creative ways to give financial assist assistance, you know, because uh, people who are undocumented have, they're, they're invisible. They're, they're completely invisible. They're very nervous, uh, you know, in, in this environment. And so again, and if the political waters are different, which I hope they are, knock on wood, the, the idea of immigration reform, you know, the, where there used to be a terminology called, you might remember this, comprehensive immigration reform. Oh, well, where is that now? You know, so, so you know, we're, we're asking for that. And then, you know, being attentive because of the spirit of solidarity with um, international financial uh, relief um, for our brothers and sisters uh, abroad. And just, you know, increasing, um, you know, again, interna international relief aids. So, uh, so those were the three asked. We, you know, we had a pretty good conversation. I still have, even though it was last week, you know, it doesn't have to be all done. Scheduling sometimes is hard. You recall, Jude, right. that, you know, last week was, you know, this impeachment piece that was going on. So, so I still am waiting. I think this week I'm going to have a, a meeting with our, um, our conservative representative from Southern Brooklyn, Staten okay. Island. And I'm looking forward to that conversation to, you know, just see, you know, where she is with that because, you know, she highlighted different focuses when she was campaigning. She's very new now. She's our right. new, newly elected uh, Republican representative uh, of Staten Island and Southern Brooklyn. So I'm looking forward to, to making that relationship, making that connection. She's half Catholic. Right. Uh, so I think uh, she'll see it as a, you know, uh, she, she might be interested just to hear what Catholic Charities has to say. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, um, you know, uh, Habitat is relatively new to the advocacy world. Um, it's only within the last few years that it's gone national. We've always had, you know, a body of, uh, of advocates in DC and we have an NGO at the UN. Um, but they've never really made it, you know, a part of the, of the broader landscape of Habitat across its affiliates. And um, one of the reasons I got hired at Habitat was, uh, you know, here in Kansas City was to do that very thing. Uh, I, you know, John knows, you know, that this is how we met was, you know, I was doing that work here in the diocese here and in Chicago um, for, you know, the different dioceses I work for. And um, you know, Habitat was looking for people, you know, to be in different places around the country to, to do that work on the grassroots level. And so, um, you know, Habitat recognized the fact that it has political capital. Um, you know, it, you'd be hard pressed to find an organization that hates Habitat. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> everybody likes what we do, um, it, you know, because it, it, it works, it makes sense, it, you know, uh, you know, but it's always been sort of on the charity footprint you know, in people's right. minds in terms of, uh, and so, you know, there's been now this concerted effort to do the justice side of it. And so we've been advocating for affordable housing, both on the federal level, as well as the state and local level. So in addition to the work we've been doing on the federal level for, you know, funding for affordable housing, things like that, I've also been working locally and on the state level, we were able to get a low-income housing tax credit from the state of Missouri uh, to complement the one on the federal level to provide additional, you know, incentives to building affordable housing in Missouri. That was a big win last year. We got a land bank in, you know, one of the rural sections of our service area in Leavenworth, Kansas. And 
just a couple of weeks ago, we were able to get a set-aside ordinance that requires developers who get in incentives from the city to set aside 30% of those units for affordable housing. Um, we were able to do that in coalition with other organizations. We never do things, you know, and, you know, one of the things I'm always very intentional about, you know, you mentioned community organizing, and that's, that's a, a topic we ought to cover, you know, just in a whole separate thing. But we will. You know, I'm always, you know, I never do things in isolation. I always do things in, in a coalition with other organizations. Um, it's very rare that I'll go out, you know, on a limb, you know, for the organization. But we are very intentional about being relational, about working with other organizations, with neighborhood groups, whatnot, because uh, that's part of the encuentro. That's part of the, yeah. uh, you know, of the process because we um, we have our body of expertise on our issues, but that doesn't mean we can't learn from other groups. And, right. and that's, so that's very important. And, and it's that other side, you know, we hope, <laughs> you know, we mentioned earlier about politicians and their offices, you know, hopefully listening to us, uh, but we also have to do the same thing on our end. You know, we have to listen and, you know, like Vatican II said, read the signs of the times. Right. And, uh, that can only come through encountering and listening. That's a vital, you know, and that's, again, we're, we're blessed to have Pope Francis uh, say this over and over and over from the beginning of his pontificate, you know, the, the Lampedusa experience and all that, really the, the globalization uh, of, of solidarity, the globalization of encounter, all fighting against the biggest problem he sees today, which goes back to uh, the prequels of Star Wars. Uh, what he called the globalization of indifference. And that is basically what George Lucas, in my humble opinion, captured so well. And, uh, you know, and the indifference of a political system that was, as you said, out of touch, and the people identified it out of touch, and it was intended. You know, we do know the secret of, a, of all nine movies now. So we know, uh, the, you know, Palpatine's intention was to make it irrelevant and out of touch. He wanted that to happen. Right. Uh, he wanted to marginalize pa Amidala and Organa and Mothma. Uh, it, it, it was, the, it was his, his intention because he wanted to find a way to consolidate power. We dare not lose that. We dare not allow this, you know, our country, uh, if, it, if there was a reason, uh, you know, a shared value in, in the founding of this nation. Right. Uh, we dare not lose that for the the concerns that the founding fathers knew could very well become a reality again. And that's, right. you know, uh, you know a, a megalomaniac, uh, megalomania, uh, dictatorship, tyranny. We don't want to fall into that. And, uh, and so to do that, the, 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 what Star Wars failed to do, what, what failed, what failed to happen in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Uh, and then, and so the result became the rebellion, the result right. became civil, you know, this is a civil war, um, you know, because you, you create an empire. And then of course the dissent the people who dissent against that will, will fight against it. To avoid that, you have to form relationships to undermine right. Palpatine, to undermine the, the Palpatine forces in our society. We have to build relationships with one another and, and literally just undermine his desire to, to, to break apart the, you know, the Republic. Now, who's Palpatine here? It might not be one person. You know, we, right. you know, we can identify there's some folks who may have some villainy, villainous uh, style to them, but you can see that from all directions. You know, the, he, 
to his genius, he had to create a, uh, a Count Doku to just give that other image. So you could, you could maybe point it to him or point it to, it's not about who is the actual Palpatine and who is the actual Doku or anything like that. Right. It's forming the relationships and really undermining anybody who may want to uh, increase. So people will say it's George Soros. People will say it's Donald Trump. Right. And regardless, form those relationships. Don't let them be manipulated by the, you know, by the, the financial interest mm-hmm. that can easily become the, and if we let it go, then it is on us. It is partly on us. We've allowed the system to be the corruption to, you know, to continue. So forming those relationships have been very crucial. I, I, I intend to, you know, I think that for me, that's part of the encounter. I read encounter in a number of different ways. One of them, our ability to encounter the poor our ability to encounter the people that we meet and the people that we serve to make sure we understand their stories, who they are and how we might better serve them by understanding a little bit more of what their needs are. That's one. Right. But to encounter, so to encounter to the, at, at, uh, at the grassroots, but then also to encounter at the top, at the level of power uh, and to be able to, to say, uh, you know, here's who we are. We want to understand you better, and we also want to share the stories of the, of the of the folks that we meet at the at the bottom. We want to build those bridges, and find out a little bit more. Find out it looks like they're you know that you're out of touch. Maybe maybe not. You know, like I said, with the farmers to families uh, boxes, uh, having that conversation and have them tell us, well, there's this review process. Now that we know you, we'll share this with you. You know now. I, I, until she said that, we were speculating. We were being just as human as everybody else and saying, oh, maybe, you know, are, are they holding on to this? Are, are they giving it to their friends? No, no. They, we need to have a conversation. And since the conversation happened, they said, oh, yeah, there's this process going on. And now we'll, you know, we'll include you on that process. Wonderful. You know, that's, that's, right. that's, that's the victory of an encounter. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and you know, I'm reminded of that line that, you know, Padme says, um, you know, I, I think it's episode two, you know, where she says, uh, you know, this crisis represents a failure to listen. Um, and, um, you know, that's a very insightful thing because, you know, essentially every crisis does that. I mean, there's just, right. you know, um, and, you know, very often when we talk about listening, we're always, <laughs> you know, it's like so many other things. We want other people to listen to us, but we don't necessarily reciprocate with with uh, uh, with that listening back. And um, you know, that's the real danger here is is uh, that inability to do that. But when we have those when we have those encounters, as we did this past week, um, you know, you can see some 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 really important change happen and and uh can happen if uh if that listening is allowed to take place um and you know you mentioned the you know the bogeymen and whatnot and uh, you know i think about this a lot you know you've seen these facebook posts where you know it's an empty bench and and you know somebody asks you you know who would you like to sit next to with and talk for an hour and I look at that bench and I'm like, you know what? There's a million people I'd love to sit down and talk to, you know, I'd yeah. love to talk to Barack Obama. I'd love to talk to Donald Trump. I'd love to talk to just about anybody just to see what makes them tick, you know, um, because it's been my experience that 
you know, there are very few people, and, you know, uh, you know, Aristotle says this about, you know, the, you know, the virtuous soul versus the vicious soul versus the consonant and inconsonant soul. Mm-hmm. You know, he says there are very, very few people who are truly vicious people. Okay. Truly really who who are truly vicious people who who live entirely by vice. And on the other hand, there are very, very few virtuous people who are, you know, walking things. You know, most of us are in the middle. Uh, and, you know, you know, most of us, I think, are trying to get to <laughs> the virtuous side all the time and whatnot. And we struggle and we have, you know, uh, in the Catholic tradition, we have that wonderful, you know, season of Lent coming up, reconciliation and all those things that, you know, but, um, you know, uh, you know, something struck me, you know, as we started, you know, uh, year B here in the liturgical season. Um, you know, that's the, that's the gospel of Mark. Um, and, you know, the very first miracle Jesus performs in Mark's gospel is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Um, many jokes can be made about that, which I'll <laughs> let go. But, but you know, it, it's a fairly ordinary story. You know, uh, Jesus heals her, she gets up and she serves other people. And, and nobody really takes that story very seriously at all. It's just a very matter-of-fact story. But, you know, the subsequent healings that Jesus performs after that one, okay, this is where you get the messianic secret thing, you know, where, you know, Jesus will perform a healing or whatnot, and he'll tell people, don't tell anybody about this. Go to the temple, offer your gift, but don't broadcast this. And in every single instance, nobody listens to him, okay? (laughs) The only one who does so was Peter's mother-in-law, okay? And that's the beauty of that story is the fact that she got up and she served. That's her witness to the gift of Jesus in her life. She got up and she served other people, okay? Um, In all these other instances, you know, it sort of represents, you know, kind of what I call showboat Christianity, okay? We're not going to listen to Jesus. You never hear a homily about, you know, people, um, uh, you know, who probably, you know, this is a command that Jesus gives to these people, and they all ignore it, and and we don't think anything of this, okay? You know, we just sort of say, oh, yeah, well, that's not a big deal. Well, maybe it is a big deal, you know? (laughs) <laughs> maybe discipleship isn't about showboat Christianity. Maybe it's about getting up and serving, right? right. Um, so you have this contrast between Peter's mother-in-law and essentially every other healing that takes place in the gospel, which is, you know, this, you know, ignoring of Jesus's, you know, instruction to not, you know, don't showboat it, you know? Uh, <laughs> then it becomes about you rather than about, you know, the real re- relationship that you have with God and with other people. Right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, maybe can be said, you know, it's always, I, I, I don't remember how the, the saying itself went, but you know, when you, when you have uh, symbols of power bestowed upon you one way or another for your through good or for ill, you know, it, it can change you. It can change you. It, it all of a sudden will change your audience. Uh, and that's something that that's that's always a danger but you gotta you know again with the, the whole thing of encounter and actually something that you mentioned again another big thing that pope francis is huge when he talks about encounter when he talks about that when he puts together an encyclical fratelli tutti and god bless him for being an example to all of us in many different ways but he talks about mutual dialogue 
the, the, the space to always create avenues for mutual dialogue, which as you just pointed out, is about listening as well as being heard. You know, it's, it's, a, it's about both and and being able to do that. And, you know, our task is to really press that. And, uh, and, and if we find it uh, hard to deliver a message or our message isn't being received, then maybe it's, it's about finding a creative way to put the message out, but not giving up, not giving up, up that encounter. And I think that's why you, in the beginning of this show, you mentioned this is a very, you know, there's, there's many principles of Catholic social teaching, which we teach, like I teach a, a course right, right now on Catholic social teaching. And one of them that we dare not forget uh, is participation. Right. Uh, the church uh, calls us all as part of our, uh, and I remind my students, the church doesn't tell us who to vote for. Right. They just, oh, their, their mandate to us is to tell us that the value of participating and voting form our conscience, but it's, it's through our form conscience and our experiences that allows us to go ahead and vote, but vote. Absolutely. Right. You know, yes. that's, that's, you know, and that, but voting can seem like when I say the word vote, you think about putting in, you know, a check mark and, and that's it. But what I always tell people is that you should be voting every day of your life. Yes. Obviously, once every four years is when you have a, a wonderful civic responsibility to go and cast a right. vote and do so. But you, but by the moment you do that, you're saying I'm, you know, I'm engaging in a relationship. This person, whether it's the one you chose or the person that, you know, or, or the winner becomes the other person, that is your representative, and right. and that's something that's a relationship that you you don't want to dismiss. Right. right? Excuse me one yeah. second. I got to unplug my phone here. That's all right. Well, and, and, you yeah. know, I was, um, you know, back when I worked in the Peace and Justice for the Diocese here in Kansas City, you know, you mentioned immigration reform. And this was 2010. I'll never forget it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that year, there was a big push to get the DREAM Act passed, um, you know, to protect, you know, the dreamers, uh, you know, the big block of kids who, who are here. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and so... I, Justice for Immigrants, USCCB, you know, undertook a campaign to really try and get this thing pushed. And so I led Missouri, you know, the Missouri Diocese on this mm -hmm. campaign to work on Senator Claire McCaskill. Um, she, was, she was the junior senator. Um, she was a Democrat, but she didn't support a whole lot on the immigration side. She was fairly, um, you know, she was fairly difficult to talk to on that issue. But we we undertook a postcard campaign and we organized people to go to her offices in districts to have conversations, you know, about this. And so I led, you know, a number of different meetings, you know, with her staffers. Um, we had the bishop, you know, outside, he did a letter, um, he took part in the campaign. Um, but, you know, I kept going to that office time after time and the, it came up three times for a vote. Okay. The first, you know, two times, you know, it had gotten, you know, defeated. Senator McCaskill didn't vote for it. And, and it was getting closer and closer each time. And so finally, December was after the midterm elections, you know, there was going to be one more vote before the new Congress came in. And I led a group of students with their campus minister to her office here in Kansas City. We had a meeting. And it was in December. It was just a few weeks 
you know, before, you know, the Christmas recess. And I was listening to the, to the staffer who I started, you know, to develop a, you know, a relationship with. And I, she said something. And, you know, we got done with the meeting. You know, I thanked the students. I had them leave. But I asked if I could stay for a second, you know, afterwards. And, you know, the staffer said, yeah. And so, the, you know, they left. And I stayed back and I said, Corey, I said, you said something that was different than the last times we were here. I said, is something happening? She said, I can't guarantee anything, but she said, I think the Senator might vote for it. Okay, I don't know, but I just, you guys have had an impact. Okay, she's thinking about this. So I'll never forget the vote. It was a Saturday morning. I was at home. My wife had to work. I was with my kids. And, you know, I'm a policy geek, so I've got C-SPAN on, you know, just kind of watching the vote. Okay, and I saw that she voted for it. And I was like, oh my God, that's really great. So I made a note, okay, Monday said thank you note to McCaskill. Well, the phone rings, okay, and it's the staffer from, from McCaskill's office, and she's crying. She said, Jude, did you see the vote? I said, yeah, I did. She, uh, you know, I said, I was going to call you Monday to thank you. Um, she said, did they show her, her emotion on the floor? And I said, no, I, you know, I was watching C-SPAN. I was just, you know, watching the vote. She said, she said, the senator sent me a text, you know. She broke down and cried when she made this vote because she knew politically this was a bad thing for her, okay? <laughs> but she did it because she became convinced of the issue. And she wanted to thank you and all your folks, you know, and, you know, can we set up a call, you know, with, some of the bishops, you know, to thank, you know, and I said, absolutely. So I got on the phone right away, started organizing that and, you know, um, and that happened, you know, she had a call with the bishops and she thanked them and, you know, and whatnot. Now, I, I share that story for two reasons. One, it shows the power of Enquentro, okay? Absolutely. But two, you know, Claire McCaskill was not, so you know, Claire did not support us on, you know, pro-life things, okay? And, you know, the culture warriors would demonize her, you know, and say, oh, you know, she can't, you know, and Claire's Catholic, so, you know, you know, so there was always a push to have her not go to communion, all this other stuff and whatnot. And, you know, I kept, and I said, look, this is an opportunity, okay? Here we have, we have this encounter. She has come to see our position on immigration, okay? Let's, develop the relationship further okay and you know go on to the next issue okay the only way we're going to get there is if we have and we have something positive now we have this relationship that we can build upon let's not let's not squander it by going back into the foxhole and you know and you know harping on on one issue that you know she doesn't agree with us on you know important as it is okay we have to find a way to you know, get people to accept other aspects of the consistent right, right, right. so that we can get to, you know, all of the issues, you know, in some way, and we have to look at it as a web of interconnectedness rather than these silos of separate issues. Um, and so, you know, so I, I cherish that experience for for both of those reasons. Hmm. I was curious, were you able to uh, 
organized a meeting with the um, the bishops and. Uh, so it so it was a conference call. Is what wound up happening. She she wound up having a conference call with the Missouri bishops. Thank them um, for you know for working on this issue and for her education on the issue. You know, um, and that's 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 the way to do this. Okay, you don't. That is the way to do it. That is absolutely the no. Rode was absolutely the way to do it, and that's that's the goal. And the thing is, he, all of us, uh, you and I, because yeah. we've been doing it for so many years. But you know, you have to have so much patience in this because right. relationships, you know, they're they're the hardest thing to really develop, and and they get used to. You know, the, the our politicians get used to people like especially. It's great and it's energizing, and everybody. Everybody loves it when young adults get involved and, and, and all that. But sometimes and many times you get somebody who comes in, you know, baby and passionate, does this and doesn't feel like and just and doesn't feel like they've been they've been heard or because right. the vote didn't go their way. And again, I'm thinking about January, you know, January 6th. They take their ball and they leave it. It's, they just they just demonize right. it. The enemy, you know, it doesn't it doesn't work. And they and, and, and reinforces that you you know, think of it like, uh, you know, like forming an intimate relationship. Yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, right. it takes a while to lobby the person. That's what's happening. You're lobbying for different reasons, <laughs> right. right? But that's, but that's, right. that's what you're doing. And, um, yeah. and you have to kind of, you have to nurture it. You have to nurture that and, and, and stick with it. And then be, you know, be able to thank them for the votes that they do for you and, just as well as you write, you know, you know, maybe you can say we're disappointed in this, but right. we're happy with that, you know, and, and, and so that's, and that's, how, that's what democracy is. And I think we really right. need to take, you know, re remember that, remember what, you know, um, the, the idea of the, the, the representative process, the democratic process is for us. Right. Because it is that it's, you know, the, those to Jefferson and, and Adams and Hamilton, they, they, they were bitter on some issues. Right. And they had to know how to, I remember one time hearing that one of the great or, you know, uh, advocacy organizers was, I can't remember if it was the wife of Jefferson or the wife of Hamilton, but it was one of their wives. And, um, and you know, what they were, you know, what they were able to do uh, is, is be able to contact the other person right. and, and just go ahead and uh, the other family, probably wife to wife, right. and bring those two together to finally have a conversation on an issue that they were very divided on. Right. Right. So, so exactly. yeah, that was, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, we need to, we need to, you know, bring back here. Right. And even people who believe they don't have any power, you know, when they get engaged, they do, um, you know, so I'll never forget when I was a, a sixth grade religion teacher down in Texas. Um, uh, one of my jobs was was organizing and working with our sister parish in Honduras, and um, we had this exchange. You know, so one year we would have folks go to Honduras, you know, and work with the medical mission and the school there, and then the following year we would have folks come up to Dallas um, from Honduras so that we could, you know, hear their stories, but also connect them to. Um, medical supply chains and whatnot that we can get, um, uh, you know, supplies to them and whatnot and, you know, network and things like that. So this particular year, it, it was the Hondurans turn to come up to Dallas. And so my students were 
actively engaged in regular fundraising for the school, their families volunteered to be the host families, you know, for the Hondurans who were coming. And so they got all excited. We were planning all these different things. And it was 2003, and I'll never forget this. Um, the Hondurans had contacted us to say that for the first year ever, their visas were denied by the US government. Mm -hmm. And so I'll never forget, my students came in, they were mad, they were just all upset. You know, these are sixth grade kids. And so, you know, one of the things about ethics is, you know, is the ability to channel emotions in the positive direction. Um, that's a lot of what ethics is. And so we sat down and we had a conversation. I said, okay, what can we do? And we just sort of, you know, brainstormed. And one student said, well, why don't we contact our members of, of Congress? And a lot of the other kids, oh, that's a bad idea because, you know, we don't vote. They're not going to listen to us. And I said, well, in the absence of anything else, you know, let's try it. You know, right. just that. So the school agreed to pay for all the postage, you know, and I, and I had all 60 of my kids write a letter, okay? And then I had a cover letter, you know, that went with it. Mailed them to our Congress member and our two senators' district offices. Within a week, I got a phone call from all three offices. And they say, hey, what's going on here? And I said, well, you know, here's the issue, you know. And so I explained it to them and they said, well, gosh, this is unusual. Why is this happening? And I said, I don't know, but if you could help us, that'd be great. And within a week after that, the issue got resolved. We got the visas. <laughs> we had to reschedule the visit, but we, but we got what we needed. My students came into class that next day. They were so excited. They were so energized. And they said, that was really great. Why did it work? You know, because we don't vote. And I said, well, let me tell you two things. One, I used to work for a congressman's office. And this is largely what we do in congressional offices is deal with issues just like this, okay? So we did the right thing. And, and, and I didn't tell you that in advance because I wanted you guys to experience this for yourselves. But this is largely what congressional offices do. They solve problems like this, first thing. Secondly, yeah, you don't vote. But you know what? How many voters are you connected to personally? Well, your parents, your grandparents, okay? If you have a bad experience or a good experience, that's gonna rub off and you're gonna share that experience with the people you do have impact over, okay? And, you know, so even though you don't vote, you still have power. You still have the ability to raise your voice and you affected change. And I can't tell you how many of my students from that time are still engaged in the work of that mm -hmm. parish. They've gone down to Honduras, you know, Ah, to become of age, you know, but that's the power of encounter. That's the power of channeling our negative emotions into positive action. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, um, that's, that's beautiful. Yeah. So, um, so I think, you know, we've talked about a lot of experiences. We've talked a lot of about a lot of issues today. We've connected them all to Catholic social teaching. We got our Star Wars. We had to get on the good side of the force this week. We were, you know, bereft yeah. without it. So, um, you know, so um, we want to thank everybody for spending another perfectly good hour with us as you deal with weather in your part of the country. Uh, we and hope please visit our, our website, you know, our, our, our blog yes. and, uh, and, you know, add your two cents to, to that. 
and let's see if um, if you know we can we can bring you in and have conversations. I mean, I love having kind of these conversations with Jude. I'm sure Jude is Jude is excited anytime he he gets yep. to to have a one on one with me. But you know what? As far as the two of us having been trained as community organizers. I, I, I'm good with the one-on-ones I've had with Jude. I'd love to go ahead and expand that. Uh, yes. Those we'd, love to have, we'd love to have guests. We're talking to some people about being guests on our show. And, uh, you know, hopefully sometime soon we'll have that. And uh, sometimes it's all a matter of how the schedules work. So, you know, but again, everybody, thank you for thank you, yeah. your work and for your support. Uh, we look forward to seeing you all next week.